positive feedback loop. Hi, welcome to Positive Feedback Loop. This is the show where we talk about things we find interesting and often disagree on them. Today, you'll hear from myself, Luis, and our co-hosts, Stephanie. Hello, everyone. And Ray. Welcome, welcome. The topic of today is something close and dear to my heart, which are games. But more specifically, board games and things of the sort. Games that are played around a table with your friends. Maybe not even with a table, but just physically present and without some sort of electronic in the way. So to start us off, let's talk about that. What are you guys' favorite board games? Wait, Luis, what's a board game? Is that something like, can it connect to Wi-Fi or how does it work? How can I play with my friends? I don't get it. Um, well, Ray, <laughs> uh, there is no VR generally involved with board, board games and you cannot upload your mind into a cloud that allows you to play board games in the, in the cloud, at least not yet. But... Um, board games are more traditionally just games that are played around uh, when you're physically present with friends. Usually they have relatively simple rule sets so that you don't need a computer to actually plug in what's happening. But oftentimes they can be very complex. And that's really just it. It's just a game that you play with friends on generally on a table. Would you call card games a part of that genre? I would say it probably falls within it. But I think board games tend to be the ones that have, like, Monopoly tends to be more of a board game compared to a card game. But I think people nowadays don't really make that distinction often. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't realize till you said that, but Monopoly really is this hybrid game. You've got a deck of cards and you're trading them and the board just happens to be a facilitator. Yeah, exactly. It's just generally a game that involves some sort of pieces that you're moving around and counters. Or maybe you're placing markers or things on a surface. But... They, they can have strategy, but they can also have chance. There's a lot of things involved. It's not like gambling, where it's whether it's with cards or something else, it's all luck and maybe very minor strategy, and there's usually something in there in terms of like a reward for the player after the fact. It's more... Uh, there is generally some element of skill, though. With the exception of, I think, Monopoly, because Monopoly is garbage and I hate it. I'm Why sorry, shots fired. I don't know. I find Monopoly to not really have much strategy. It seems really simplistic to me. What's the best strategy for Monopoly, then? Best strategy for Monopoly is to just buy spaces as you get to them and then trade and then not lose. Yeah, but that's and like saying the best strategy for chess is to try to go for the king. I mean, that's not really a good answer. But that's the thing. You can't really strategize in Monopoly because you can't predict where your die is going to roll. And you have you, you may as well buy everything. So you can use it as leverage to trade for things later on. If you buy too much, you won't have enough money to pay your rent as you go along the board. So it's kind of a balancing act. That's part eh. of the strategy. But in the beginning of the game, no one ever worries about actually paying Let's rent or is he worried about acquiring spaces. That's true. What are your favorite board games? I missed the question. Uh, I, mm, that's a tough question. Steph, you want to go first? My favorite game is a board game where you actually build the board. And it's called Carcassonne. Mm. And you basically, yeah, I, I really like it. It's very strategic. So it's not a typical, like, you know, with Monopoly where you roll the die and that's where you end up. Or sorry, where you, you know, it's, it's, you'd move a certain number of spaces. But it's rather you have these pieces of the board in your hand, kind of like cards. And then you put down pieces and can claim either the farmland or the roads or the cathedrals or other things that you're building if you have these expansion packs but the board starts with only one square 
and you connect these other squares to extend the rows, extend the farms, and start claiming those pieces of, of property. So by the end of the game, the board is complete. Everybody has claimed what they can on the property that has now been built. And the board looks completely different in every iteration of the game, which is super interesting as well. I've, I haven't had much opportunity to play it. I think I played it once. And I remember it being fun. Uh, the rules aren't that difficult. And I remember it. it's one of the, the new set of uh, European board games, which have made a lot of headway. Uh, I think they're called like German-style board games, which have made a lot of headway in the U.S. market in the last decade or so, starting probably with Catan, which is my favorite board game, just because it's like playing a game like Risk or Monopoly, where you have to like strategize and have diplomacy and like work with your with other players and against them, but you don't end up killing your friends and destroying your friendships. So that's nice, and it also doesn't take eight years to finish, which Risk unfortunately suffers from. Yeah, that's a long mm. game. I think when people think of long games, Risk is the quintessential longest game ever. So that's true. I wonder what the world world record for a risk game is it's probably a few days <laughs> i think probably like infinity someone probably died in the middle of a risk game and it just never ended <laughs> is this like jumanji <laughs> which <laughs> hey that's actually a really interesting segue the game jumanji. ended by force majeure which by the way can i just point out jumanji kind of a wasted opportunity for everyone involved let's let's think about this because now you, you, the, the real movie there shouldn't have been about the kids playing the game and then like making it out. It should be about the kids later on having grown up and gone back in time to being kids and living a second life with all the foreknowledge of what's going to happen in the future. Oh, you yeah. The yeah. That's true. The they go back to being yeah. kids and I'm like, wait, now they're adults and kid bodies? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. That's exactly what happens in the, in the movie Jumanji and spoilers for like a 20-year-old movie. The, at the end of the game... The ki- the adults who are playing uh, with some with two kids who join them, they're playing the game, and when they win, the, everything go- resets to how it was at the beginning of the game. Except everyone now has their memories. So the the uh, male adult who is played by um, Robin Williams, yes, by Robin Williams, of course. Just last episode, we talked about a movie that starred Robin Williams. So apparently this is our favorite actor of the BFL podcast. Oh, apparently, yes. Yeah, so Robin Williams goes back in time, now having all the knowledge of how to survive in a jungle. And the female lead goes back in time with all the knowledge of everything that happens from, like, the 80s to the 90s. And now is a child and can totally take advantage of the stock market. So they're definitely rich. There is, now this is spoiler alert. For those who somehow missed an entire very Decade. long period of time when Jumanji has been out. But there is at the end of the movie that point where the female lead knows that the then children are going to lose their parents and says, no, don't go on that trip. Maybe that's the first like step of using their pre-knowledge and then like the movie ends, but they keep, maybe they win the stock market after that. We don't know. I don't know. I feel like they probably would have taken advantage of some stuff beforehand. I feel like that's the real story right there. That's what I'd want to watch. Was there a Jumanji 2? Wasn't there? there like, was, a they did. They did a, I think they're working on one now actually, but they did have a space-based Jumanji knockoff that they did. I forgot what it was called. It's like, it starts with a Z, I think. Z- Sathura. Sathura. That was it. Ah. Sathura. It, it's a sequel to, it's a, I think it's based on a, the book sequel to Jumanji, and they made that into a movie, and it flopped terribly. 
Interesting. Um, I or think at least should... if it didn't flop, I don't remember anything about it. I have one more thing about Jumanji that I want to yes, say. Yes, go ahead. Jumanji is a pretty old movie now, and what's interesting about that game is that it's a collaborative game, which is a specific type of game, which I I don't know if it's... I feel like the Germans really made it popular because, like you said, they're these German-style games, and I'm thinking of collaborative games like Forbidden Island. And collaborative games are games where you're not competing with other people. You're actually all competing to beat the game. And Jumanji is that type of game. They're all collaborating to somehow survive or conquer something in some way. And I think that's fascinating, but I just want to point out really quickly, there is indeed a Jumanji 2 that they're working on, and it stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson, because of course it does. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, The Rock. (laughs) When does that come out for our listeners? December 22nd, 2017. All right, looking forward to that one. Yeah, it's got Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, Jack Black, Karen Gillan, and Nick Jonas. Uh, oh, yeah. Jack Black's in there, Nick Jonas. I think this will be a good movie for us to review as it comes along. Yeah, oh, so. and they have they have flashbacks of Robin Williams in it. Now slightly sad. All right, but yes, uh, on to the topic of changes in the way that games are played. I mean, traditionally, we have games like monopoly or you know shoots and ladders and things like that that are more about people playing against each other and we've had this transition on games that are more cooperative or are asymmetrical which i think is also really fascinating games where not all players have the same starting conditions like in monopoly everyone starts with the same stuff but there's games now where you're playing against like all the players are ganging up on one player or there's games where there may be a hidden traitor in the group and while everyone's working to accomplish a goal the trader is working against the group, and everyone has to figure out who that trader is. Like, there's games like Shadows Over Camelot, which is, uh, it's like, it's, it's, it takes a long time to play, so I don't necessarily recommend it. It's something to take a look at, but it's basically, you guys, everyone plays as the Knights of the Round Table, and you don't know if one amongst you there is this one person who is working against you. And you're trying to, like, work together to, like, accomplish all these quests, but at the same time... Someone on the table is not on your side. And there's a bunch of games like that. Resistance, uh, Coup is more, is more like Werewolf. There's just a lot of stuff that's coming out that's really interesting. So, Ray, you never answered our question. What kind of games do you enjoy? So, I'm not much of a board game player, but I'm thinking, like, card games I do like playing. You know, um, one thought that I had in mind was a game like Cards Against Humanity. And I think that's fun because it it's kind of edgy. and it makes people, you know, it's just not a game about winning or losing. It's more about this is a game that actually kind of has implications on the way we think about society in general. It's, it's just an interesting game to play with a lot of people. Yeah, maybe uh, group games I think you would like in general. Just those games where the goal is to have everybody in the room just laughing their heads off. Yeah, you know? I, I, I agree. Yeah, I there's really... this. There's a lot of games like that now lately as well. Um, There's ones that are based around superheroes where you have to... I I think these are more games where you win by showing wit. I think it's basically it. Showing wit and showing how well you know other players by catering answers that you know will go well with other players. I think and that starts kind of with apples to apples. I think it's like they're the ones that, that like every one of these is based on to a degree. Apples to apples being a game where... Players are have cards. You have a deck of cards in your hand with like different things on them, different statements or items, and uh, someone plays down a card that has a blank on it. It says like 
what my mother said to me last night, and then everyone plays down. It's like, oh, uh, you are a banana, you know, something like that, something stupid, and people laugh, and that's that's what's funny. And Cards Against Humanity is like a more edgy version of that, com- with more off the cuff, wilder, grosser, more eighteen plus material. And there's other games that are lo- that make it so that players have to create stories as they go and justify their selections. Games where you have to choose a superhero, you create a superhero as you're playing, and then you have to like defend why your superhero would win that. Like I think it's Super Fight. I think it's a game like that where you have to, like you have battles, but it's you have to justify why your selection would win the fight. That sort of thing. I think this, um, this is like a type of game where the more you can make connections that are culturally relevant this goes back to your your argument that the the wit kind of wins the game the culturally relevant material tends to win the game of sorts and another game that came out recently that one of my sisters really loves is hashtag it and basically it's like apples to apples and it's similar to it's it's a game i think gray would really enjoy where you have something going on and you choose of all the hashtags in your hand i guess which hashtag would actually represent what's going on. So it just makes it very funny. It's culturally relevant because everybody hashtags anything that's going on. They've got a hashtag for it. And this is very different than games of my childhood anyway, where it was almost a match game, where there was a right answer. And we're entering into almost games reflecting the new era we're in, where there's not necessarily a right answer but there are kind of contextual right answers or there's something that that maybe the whole group can find consensus on. It's a very new way of thinking. Or not a new way of thinking, it's just kind of, it's getting more attention in the way we play games and learn in school and just kind of, you see it playing out in culture. And I think that actually comes down to the sort of nichification of games, right? Where games are made more and more and more to serve very specific needs and to bring in new audiences that were maybe not accessible to before. Um, you know, there's new platforms that allow for very small time developers to create board games, which traditionally you didn't have that. You know, you had Parker Brothers would sell a board game and like that was it, it was in toy stores. Now you can kickstart board games, right? You can go online, you can say, oh, I like this concept. I like what they're doing with this. I'm going to support them putting it together so that I can have it. Because I didn't come, I saw someone come up with it, and now I can endorse their creative process. People are exposed to a lot more now, and it's very interesting seeing how these, this is developing. And we'll talk more about this in the second half. And with that, we'll be right back after these short messages. Are you a hardcore gamer? Are you down for a challenge? Well, this game you cannot even beat, no matter how hard you try. Get it it's now. It's the positive feedback loop game. Extreme, extreme, extreme. A game where you and two of your friends, so you have a three-player game, have to battle against millions of other podcasts to gain infamy or fame. Oh no! Audio interference! Record again! A dog fight in the middle of the road behind Luis's apartment. Skip five spaces. Recording has been ruined. Make incredible commercials and entertain all your buddies. The Positive Feedback Loop game coming to a store near you. 
Welcome back to Positive Feedback Loop. The topic of today, as was talked about on the top of the hour, was board games. Just before the commercial, we were talking about the proliferation of newer board games via platforms such as Kickstarter and newer methods of social media that have been bringing attention to a lot more stuff out there um, and allowing for more niches to be filled. And so we're going to continue on the topic. So I was, I was actually wondering, Luis, uh, you were talking about these newer games, fi- finding them on Kickstarter, but what about the really ancient games, the old games such as chess and uh, Go? And backgammon. I mean, yeah, chess. I think it's like a game that's been around for like over fifteen hundred years, like two thousand years old. Uh, and backgammon. Apparently, there's been they've seen evidence of backgammon and dice. Uh, and the dice were made out of human bones. And this was back in the time of Mesopotamia. So you know that's like over five thousand years old. So it's interesting to me that these games have stuck around for so long. And that people still are playing them, basically. What do you guys think? So actually, that's that's uh, that's really fascinating. One of the I was watching a video just a few weeks ago of a historian who had recreated a game that's called the Royal Game of Ur, which is a Sumerian game or Mesopotamian game from I think like 1500 BC. Um, we'll have we'll put it on the website. A link to information about the game. It's incredibly ancient and it's fascinating because they also it's a game of a combination of skill and luck. So there are dice involved, but the dice are different. They're tetrahedrons. They're not what we're used to when we think about die, which generally is just like a cube. A six six sided yeah, die. Yeah, a right. six sided die, yeah. But this is actually a tetrahedron, so it's kind of pyramidal. Like a, how many like sides a, does it have? How many numbers? Uh have? four. Well, I mean, how many numbers can it land on? Oh, it doesn't land on numbers. Or it, it actually has little colors at the tops of each side of each corner, and if, they, if it's colored, that tells you what it landed on. It's fascinating, huh. and basically the the whole point of the game is you gotta figure out. You have to move from one end of the board to the other, and you have to basically make uh, gambles on how many pieces you want to move across the board at different times because your opponent can overtake you. It's really interesting to look at. I recommend people give it a look. There's also some other interesting stuff out there. I think probably for me, one of the more interesting fun facts about board games, especially the old ones, is Go. There are more possible games of Go than there are atoms in the universe. Wow, that is super interesting. What is it right? just because the board is so is large enough that the combinations of games are just nearly endless? Essentially, yeah, that's basically it. So an old game that has interested me, I think, because it was one of the first games I played, uh, sometimes as a little kid when my parents want me to be quiet in church, they'd have me start a game of tic-tac-toe. And I'm sure you've played tic-tac-toe many times when you were young, maybe old too. Uh, I think tic-tac-toe is interesting because it's one of the only games that if played optimally, meaning if you're a smart enough player, that you're choosing the optimal move each time, it's a futile game. There is no winner each time. It either ends in a tie or a draw every time at its most optimal. And often it's used in academia to kind of teach about artificial intelligence and game trees and computer programming, uh, just because of 
its matrix structure and the choice possibilities. There are tic-tac-toes that are just a three by three grid, but there are also tic-tac-toe where you can play in 3D space, which reminds me also if, you ha- if you've ever played 3D chess. Um, 3D chess. Okay, so 2D chess is chess as it is. It's a two-dimensional flat board. Three-dimensional chess is where you have a chess board that could go on maybe three levels. It could also go as many levels as there are uh, squares across a 2D board. So it's, a, it's the, through the depth of space. So basically, if you want to uh, move a pawn, which can move forward one space, right? You could move forward on the, on the two-dimensional uh, plane one space, or you could move down into the next level one space, right? So now you're moving through space. So it's very complex. That's crazy. I don't know how many. So, uh, so that that means there's multiple games going on at multiple times at the same time. It's not multiple games because you only have you have the same number of pieces. They can just move more deeply. So imagine a knight, which is a little more complex. The knights are usually the hardest to f- kind of strategically figure out. You could move over one on the same plane, but then move down two levels. Interesting. I understand now. And there's only one set of pieces. You don't have like a set on each right. layer. Okay. Something that you brought up that I find really interesting about this, and chess is complicated. It's been around for a very long time, and very few people would say that it's simple, especially since it's, it hasn't been solved. I think that's kind of one of the things that we were, we, we were getting at a little bit before, and it's the idea of solvable games. So tic-tac-toe can be always, almost always goes to a draw because it's been solved. It's a very trivial game, and any computer is able to predict. And just to clarify for listeners, a solved game is one where you, a player could, would be able to predict exactly how the game will end based on a certain point in the game. So if you're at, from at the very, very beginning of the game, based on the first few moves, you will know how the game's going to end if you follow a certain path. And with tic-tac-toe, it's very easy to force it into a draw because it's been solved. It's just arbitrary. It's a relatively arbitrary game. Chess is more complicated, so we've only been able to get it to like a partial solution level. Go, similarly, it's not solved yet. Checkers has been solved. There's a lot of stuff out there that's actually been solved, and that's one of the reasons why you probably don't want to play those games against a computer, because you're not going to go anywhere, because it's going to win. It's just that the game doesn't have any more wiggle room for you. And we're getting closer to maybe chess being solved. Go, I don't know about. I think Go is further away because that there's a lot more computing power required given that, you know, more atoms and more moves that there are possible atoms in the universe. I thought that Google was able to, with their DeepMind platform, was able to beat one of the top Go players in the world. I think that yes. finally that's may not, happen. Yes. That's not solving yes. the game. That's not it's solving, yeah. An instance where this deep learning algorithm was able to defeat a world champion in Go. Yeah, and it's getting to a point where players, human players, are having a very hard time against computers in chess, and now starting with Go. Go is a complicated game, and because it's there's so many possible moves, it it's very difficult for a computer to properly, you know, anticipate what another what would to look ahead so many steps and actually anticipate the most probable way to win, um, especially give it against a human. But we're getting to that point now. 
And it's going to be interesting to see whether, whether that's going to move next. Are we going to move to the point where we're going to solve Scrabble? Are we going to solve Catan? Are these all the games that are going to get solved? Who knows? I mean, we're not spending time and resources trying to solve them. But are they solvable to begin with? Because these are games that have a lot more variation in terms of um, starting positions. So who knows? You don't, no one starts with the same Scrabble hand this, than compared to chess players. Can, wait, is, can you solve a game like Scrabble? I didn't think that you could solve it. Because you, you just have to beat the other players. You don't have to get the highest points ever, is it, right? Well, yeah, exactly. You just have to beat the other players. But if you have access to a perfect thesaurus, you'll always put the best, the best uh, words down. You can always maximize your, uh, your word score. I mean, that, this is a, that was an arbitrary na- name of a game I pulled out of okay. my, my butt. Um, but I'm just saying, what games are sellable versus what, what are not? What other what games, games you, got in, you got in there, Luis? Um, I have a library. A yeah, library like of games? Over. Yeah, I like having friends over and we play a lot of games. Yeah, yeah so my family is a game-playing family, and we have usually, we're also a reading family, so we just have lots of bookshelves, and some bookshelves have a ton of games on them, and other bookshelves have a ton of books on them, and so there's just shelves of ways to think whether you're learning from a book or learning from each other playing a game it's very interesting stimulating 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 family experiences (laughs) playing a board game i don't know there's something nice about playing a board game compared to playing a video game like video games are fun and i enjoy them i am an avid player but there's something nice about it being able to be physically with someone and berate them to their face because they're not winning at a game Sure. There's also games that are very tactile. I'm thinking of Jenga or Pictionary or something where you just you have to be there with the bricks flying down because you've picked up the wrong one or pick up sticks when you're a kid and did it move or not? You know, if you play it on a computer, I'm sure the computer say, oh, it moved. I know because I'm the computer. I've got an algorithm. But like pick up sticks is this huge game of debate when you're a a kid because it moved no it didn't i saw it move and it, which is very similar by the way to baseball <laughs> was was his foot over the line i don't know was that Three. a foul was it really a foul i like uh dominoes i think that's such a simple game to learn uh it's a lot of fun there's a lots of combinations that can occur so i think it's one of my favorites as well what do you mean by dominoes because i feel dominoes is a game that is Oh, I'll tell you. I mean, when misunderstood. Yeah, when when you set up the dominoes in a row and then you push them and they all like go in a line. That's that's what I mean. I know Ray's messing with me. I know Ray's messing with me. But there's a lot of people who think that's what dominoes is, (laughs) and that's one way of playing with them. But you could do that without having actual dominoes. you're, You're you're like basically dealt seven random stones, and you have to get rid of all your stones onto the table. And then if you don't have a specific number. You have to pull from the, the pool of stones. Basically, the goal is to get rid of all your stones. In, in Cuba, and a lot of Latin America, dominoes is like the quintessential game that you see old men playing in the park. Yeah, definitely. Just sure. like chess is, if you go to like some parks in New York City, you'll see a bunch of old people playing chess, or young people as well. It's, it's, very, it's very culturally dependent, the same way Mahjong is for a lot of Asian cultures. And th- there's a lot of different games that kind of are similar across a culture that are kind of quintessential to it. And right, well, even even in, like, my high school, dominoes during lunch was a big thing among the Dominican Republican kids, and especially the Puerto Ricans. They used to love 
uh, dominoes. And, yeah, I used to play with them sometimes. It was interesting uh, being one of the white guys in the dominoes table. But, you know, it it was a fun game, and they got really into it. I, I see oh, what yeah. you're saying. It, it's part of their culture. Uh, it's actually unique for me because it was a way that they came together. It was a common ground, sort of like soccer. Except without the, without the athletic skill. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Yeah. Might take athletic Anyone skill. can play I mean, dominoes. You don't know how these people play are playing well. dominoes. They could, it could be a very rigorous game of dominoes. Well, dominoes could people take dominoes very seriously. Uh, they they count. They they like do math in their head to like establish the probabilities of you having these certain dominoes in your hand. I, I think in Cuba, at least, the more common dominoes is double nine dominoes, because yeah. in the U.S., what I've seen is more commonly is the double the one that goes only up to seven. No, six. No, Sorry, double six. Double six. six. Yeah, is the is the most common type. There's another one that I discovered working in a. I used to I used to volunteer at a nursing home. Or actually, it was an assisted living facility and uh, independent living facility. And they, some old ladies there taught me Mexican train dominoes, which I've never heard for from or heard of. Yeah, and these are the domino games my family loves, like Chicken Foot and Mexico Train and all the different iterations of yeah, dominoes. This, this was blasphemous to me because <laughs> I never heard of dominoes being played that way. But I joined them too for a few games and it was fun. It's fine. I mean, it's one of those things where. Culturally, other different people have different games. Um, and the same way, you have games that... The same way that the Dominican kids may have been playing uh, dominoes during lunch. You know, kids in my school we used to play ERS during lunch, which is a card game, Egyptian Rats Guru, yep. which I'm sure there's better names for it. But that, that was a big one in my, in my high school. Mine too. Uno was also pretty big when I was a kid. Uno? Yeah. It, although it felt a little, Uno was one of those games where it's very luck based. Nah, I mean, yeah. So there's a difference between do, there's two different types of games here too. I mean, there's d- different ways you can make a binary there's, there's, system, right? But yeah, you mentioned Louise some of these games where you have card counters, right, or dominoes counters, where they're yeah kind of have probabilities in their minds and they're kind of thinking of things. But then you've got these games like Yahtzee that are complete luck. Like, let's hope you roll that the dice that you need, right? I feel like there's just two totally different types of games there. And some people love one game because it's just easy, it's social, it's totally based on luck. And then there's the other, which is very mathematical, strategic. So something that's also interesting to me on the math side, the strategic side, are Rubik's Cubes, which is kind of reflective of one-player games. You know, you have hmm. solitaire maybe on the other side of the Yahtzee type games where it's like, uh, you know, somewhat luck, somewhat a brainless game, in my opinion. Yeah. But Rubik's Cubes are are one player games on the other side, the strategic counting mathematical side. I wonder if do you have do you guys have any one player games you've enjoyed playing besides Sudoku's? I like Sudoku. played that a few times, a bunch of times. You were so something you mentioned. Um, one player games I don't tend to play much, except for maybe uh, crossword puzzles, which I do when I'm very bored. But I will say something that you you mentioned harkens me back to a theory I remember reading once, which is about why do we play games, right? That, that's really the fundamental question at the end of the day, right? Why do we play it? I think the answer is a little bit different for everyone. Everyone's a mix of different kinds of players. And although theory 
I read about was more in the realm of video games, specifically like MMOs where players can go and explore a wild world. It boils down to the same stuff, right? Do we play for community? Do we play for a sense of triumph and accomplishment? Do we play just for the love of trying to piece through a puzzle and getting that satisfaction of either of like actually accomplishing something at the end? What are the different things that motivate us as players to interact with others or just by ourselves? I mean, there's plenty of people who just like to do a puzzle on their own, right? What are the things that motivate us? And these are the things that will determine really what a player is like when they get on the table. When you're playing with someone, the things that motivate them carry on into how they play. Because if you're one of a person that is motivated by just exploring or just being with people, but you might spend all your time doing something that's maybe will won't be that serious, right? You may not be taking a lot of uh, you may not be thinking a lot about strategy, or you may just be doing what you find fun within the game, whereas the rest of the team may be doing something much more might deeply involved within the strategy itself. It's it's very interesting to see how different people approach the table. Work and play to me are the same. I think we see them differently in society. And maybe in our lives, we say, I'm working now, I'm playing now. But to me, they're the same. Your motivations uh, often carry through to both. Uh, and the type of player you are, sometimes it's the type of worker you are, maybe not. But it's all just your motivations and how you love to live your life. For a lot of people, work is play. And the best workers are those who are playing and innovating at work. I just walked through MIT's campus the other day, and we were remarking on how some of the best innovations that came out of MIT were innovations of play, where they were just happy, like, they thought this would be really fun, let's just do it, and then it turned into an invention, you know? Right, but then there's also a lot of, uh, if you look at it in a different way, there's people who are working, and they don't consider their work play, and maybe they're not ones, you know, in the innovation room or something, but they're kind of doing um, hard work, but they use games as a way to relax or forget about their work. So it's kind of like a yeah. tool to get off work. And there's also people who take th very, very common things that they do for work and they convert it into a game. And although I, I don't know about the whole, the way you work is the way you play. Cause I think those are very different things and the way that we approach them is inherently different. But I remember I was working, I was doing something at my, at my job. So I, I work part-time uh, at a company and while I was there, I was working on something that required some coding. And I was looking up a Stack Exchange thread just to see how other people did the same, a similar problem. And I came upon a thread that was called Confefify a String. And I thought it was fantastic. Our current position in time is not too long after the president uh, sent out a tweet uh, that's had the infamous word Confefe or Confifi. How do you pronounce that? I don't know. We're, very, we're several weeks past that, so this is a little bit late. But I remember finding that there was an entire thread of people who were playing Code Golf, which is where you try to code something in the fewest possible bytes, that would take a word or a sentence and then confefify it, which is it would convert it into a somewhat arbitrary word salad, which following very specific rules. And I thought that was fantastic. People doing this with their free time were, this is, this is, Coding, right? There's entire coding languages that were created just to make, to be able to make these games more efficient. There's a language called Jelly 
which looks like nonsense when you look at it from the outset, but it's only meant to make the shortest possible codes in terms of bytes, just for so you could play these games better. And I find that fascinating. Humans, we are we like playing and we like games. And in this podcast, we've only really covered one small aspect of games, and that has been board games. There's way more to it. You know, there's tabletop games in terms of role-playing games, right? You've got your Dungeons and Dragons, which are whole other experiences, which you technically could kind of put it within the, the board game thing, but it doesn't feel correct to do so. And you've got video games, and you've got sports, and you have so many other games out there. We're a species that likes play. And I think this is something that we will have to, to come back to again and again because it's fascinating and it really touches all of us in one way or another. And with that, dear listener, I bid you adieu and I hope you'll stay crazy. Stay, stay crazy. crazy.